Blog Talk Radio. Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. Now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Tonight, my very special guest is extraordinary new talent, Tandui McMillan. Tandui, are you with me? Yes, I'm with you. I am so glad you're with me tonight. Uh, you're my first guest during National Poetry Month, and we're going to have a good time. All right? Yeah, I look forward to it. Well, great. Well, let me ask you a question. What is poetry? Well, to me, poetry is just Poetry is so different from other forms of writing because there's no real clear definition. I kind of feel like poetry is whatever the person makes of it. I think it's a collection of thoughts. A lot of poems have a lot of imagery, but I don't think of it as, as I feel like there are no rules with poetry. So I would say it's just thoughts, feelings, um, imagery, Basically, whatever you want it to be. I think anyone can write something and say that it's poetry. It's artistic. Um, and, yeah, that's what I think it is. That's what it is to me. All right, right. What was an early experience where you learned that poetic language had power? Hmm. Well, that poetic language had power. Um I think that it was fairly recently, which is funny because I've been writing poems since I was a child, but I only recently began to realize the power of poetry. I guess after I started listening to famous poets um, and and feeling connected with what they were saying, like Sonia Sanchez, who is my favorite poet, actually, um, just listening to their words made me realize how much power they had. Um, and I guess writing my own poems and reading them out loud. Yeah. Well, please share a poem. Okay. I will share, my poem is called Tandiwi Means Beloved, and Tandiwi is my name. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Only four syllables, yet a mouthful a bitter foreign word on my tongue. Community, I spit it out. Here is where I expected to find place. Here is where I sank into a sofa among a sea of black faces who peered at me. I introduced myself, Tandiwi, a Zulu name meaning beloved. I don't feel loved. Here is where I expected to find place. Here is where I had rooted my spikes from that other world, that world with people who don't look like me, to raise my hand in solidarity with my own. I introduced myself, Tandiwi, and asked, what if I don't have a community? I am told that I must. Loneliness knows my name. It is a Zulu word meaning beloved. Okay, finished. 
a Zulu word meaning beloved. Yeah. Do you th- <laughs> do you think that a poet can actually operate as a poet if they don't feel strong emotions? Um. No, not really, because I feel like poetry is meant to be deep. Poetry is meant to be raw, and I suppose okay, I suppose someone can operate as a poet, but to be more believable, I think that they need to really dig deep. So they really need to to say things that everyone else is thinking. People to care to see, you know. Okay. All right. What are some of the predominant themes of your work? So, in my work, community, like feeling like I don't have a community or not sure, not sure where I belong. Actions like whether it's platonic relationships, romantic relationships, and the sense of discovery and belonging. It depends on what I'm in, to be honest, because there are a lot of different things that I talk about. Community is one of them, but then I also talk about love. I talk about loss. Um, I talk about life in general. I think it depends on how I'm feeling, what's going on in my life at the moment, and also getting inspiration from other people, from conversations, from listening to other people read their poetry. Um, Yeah. All great writers have great writing influences, and you spoke about Sonia Sanchez. Who are some of yours, mm-hmm. and what makes them great in your eyes? I okay, so Sonia Sanchez and Lucille Clifton—they are my favorite poets. Why? And tell me more. I think okay, so their poems—I really resonate with what they they speak about in their poems as a black woman. And I often find myself, I just, I just feel like they say things that I'm thinking as a black woman in America. And it's just so spot on that I'm, I'm drawn to their, their poems. I also like the language. I like that some of the poems are really short, really crisp, but they just are so powerful. And then there's so much imagery, especially with, um, Lucille Clifton and yeah I like that it's just really inspiring honestly well please share another poem okay this poem is called Care Trilogy and it is actually three poems so I'll, I'll read all three of them and they can either go together or they can be read as individual poems okay Part one, wild jungle won't be tamed. She bends, stretches her coils to heaven. Tangled, matted mess, I wanted her gone. She's here to stay. Part two, she started small. As she grew, so did my love for her. Her shrinkage, coarse, delicate charm, styled for protection, wiry nest of good hair. For sea beauty, she's here to stay. Part three. Crown on my head, my fro. All she wanted was love, water, moisture. My curls, my kinks, spring, reach for the sun, tussle with gravity, 
defy beauty standards. She's here to stay. Okay, finished. Wow. How does a poem begin for you with an idea, a form, or an image? Oh, okay. It begins for me with sometimes it's an idea, but sometimes it's an image. Like, I usually just, like, if I'm going for a walk, I might see something and think, oh, that's really beautiful. That reminds me of this event in my life or something that someone said to me. And I take out my phone and I start writing. And then later on, I, I build on it, edit it a little bit. Or sometimes a random thought will pop up in my head based off of a conversation with someone or something like that. And then I start to write. So it really depends, honestly. I think my better poems are when I, it's, they're unexpected. Like when I see something, okay. I get imagery. Those are my better poems, usually. My more powerful You know, when, when you say your better poems, I'm going to ask this question, and it's very subjective. What makes a poem good? <laughs> oh, that is pretty subjective. Um I think what makes a poem good for me, well, I think it depends on who you are, what you like. Some people really like okay. poems that rhyme. For a long time, I used to really, I used to stick to a rhyme scheme. I always wanted to rhyme. Every poem had to rhyme. So um, I think it depends on the person. But for me, I really like imagery in a poem. I really like metaphors. I like when nature is discussed in a poem. Um, I feel, I want to smell, I want to feel like I smell what's happening. I feel what's happening. I taste what's happening because that's how much imagery the poem has. It doesn't even have to be something deep, in my opinion. It could just be something simple, but there's so much. It could be, someone could be talking about a picnic or something, but there's so much imagery that you just feel like you're there. And that's what makes it, makes a good poem for me. Oh, wow. Very nice. You recently published a book. Yes, I do. Flowers in book. Winter. Yes, tell us about your book. So, oh my gosh. Oh, I spent so much time on this book. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> so my book, Flowers in Winter, I just I actually just graduated from Swarthmore College and Oh, congratulations. There, congratulations. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> thank you. It was during the pandemic. <laughs> oh, oh, all right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but while I was at Swarthmore, my last semester at Swarthmore I did a something called a devised reading, which is basically a one-on-one -on -one class with a teacher. They hired the Philadelphia Poet Laureate, Trapita Mason, to work with me on my poems. And I, now I'm forgetting what the question was. Oh, my book, yeah. <laughs> so I, she coached me on my, on my, um, my poems. And yeah, so this was my last semester at SWAT in May 2020. So I started, I was, I'd already started writing years before, but I guess not every single poem I wrote in my whole life was included in the book. At first, I didn't really know what I wanted to write about. I would just write things, get prompts, and just write whatever I was thinking about. And, and she would help me with that. And so as I started to write more poems, I realized that the theme of the book was, was what actually I just mentioned, discovery, belonging, community but also love and loss. And that's basically, it's also, it also has illustrations because I draw. So it's also oh, wow. poems and illustrations. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so it's basically about my experiences 
in life, like where I was and how I got to where I am today and little things that happened along the way, it's pretty vulnerable. I didn't want to hold back in this book because I think that oftentimes in our society, people are always pretending, pretending they're happy, pretending everything is okay. And I just wanted people to, I wanted to write relatable content, but authentic content. Very nice, very nice. If you had to have a conversation with a colleague or friend and you wanted them to, or wanted to convince them to read your book, what might you tell them? Okay. Um, hmm. I think I would... Hmm. Okay, so does this person like poetry already? Or am I convincing them uh, to like poetry? They, 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 they like poetry. They like poetry. <laughs> that makes it easier. They like poetry. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, Great question. Okay, so Great I, question. <laughs> I guess I would tell them, read my book. You know me. I'm just kidding. Um, I think I would just say it. <laughs> I would ask them what type of poems they like. What type of poems do they like? And based off of that, maybe I would show them one of my poems, a few of my poems, to get them interested. I would tell them that these poems are like, the collection of poems is like a diary, getting to know the real me, like what I'm thinking, like what's going on in my life. You know, people are nosy, so I feel like that would intrigue someone. Um, and then I think I would also tell them, uh, yeah, I think I would show them a few poems. I think I would talk about being vulnerable and being raw and authentic and talk about the different sections. I have five different sections, different chapters, explain each one to them maybe. Mm-hmm. Show them some of the illustrations. So the, tell, tell us about the illustrations. What do they illustrate? Okay. So I have 20, I think there are 101 poems in here or something like that. Oh, wow. And I have, yes, yes. Some of them are really long, some of them are short, some of them are, yeah, some of them rhyme, some of them don't rhyme. I have some ballads in here, some Villanova poems. And I, I really love to draw, actually. So I would just sit down, I would just look at poems, pick a poem, a random poem, look at it and think of something that related to the poem but wasn't, it didn't, it didn't have to be explicitly in the poem. For example, I have a poem called toxic and it's about toxic relationships and the image that goes with it is a jellyfish because you know sometimes sometimes something toxic can seem beautiful at first and I think the jellyfish is really beautiful but it can it will sting you well most of them will sting you so things like that that have a evoke a sense of what's in the poem but not without explicitly showing what's in the poem I think that's what I pretty much have in this book some of the art is abstract and some of it is not. Like, I, I have drawn a few people in this book, and then I've drawn aliens. So it's, it's just so, there's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot going on. All right. Well, let's take a brief break, and we'll be right back. Okay.
We are back. My name is Michael Anthony Ingram. I'm here with Tandoe McMillan. Question for you. Tell us about the title of your book, Flowers in Winter. Sounds so interesting. Okay. Okay, well, it took me forever to come to this title. So thank you. I'm glad you think it's interesting. Um, Okay, so basically, I wanted... So the cover of the book is a tree. There's a tree, and then there's also a woman looking out at the sunrise, or it could be sunset, and then there are roots in her back. And on the tree, there are a few flowers, and the tree, the branches are her hair, and, yeah, the leaves are her hair. So that's what the cover image, I drew that, and that's what the cover image is, so just for you to get an idea of it. So flowers in winter. For me, the cover is, I mean, sorry, not the cover. The title Flowers in Winter represents hope, even in the darkness, like hope, a little bit of hope. That's what it represents. So, you know, flowers die in the winter. Actually, there are some flowers that do survive in the winter. So I was thinking about flowers being flowers. When I think of flowers, I think of something beautiful. And I think of most people think of things, beautiful things, when they think of flowers, when they think of, they think of hope, they think of light, they think of something good. When you think of winter, I think a lot of people think of misery, misery, sadness, you know, seasonal depression, things like that. So I wanted, the title was a bit of hope, hope in the dark type of thing, like hope, light at the end of the tunnel. That's basically oh, wow. what it was. Because I talk about, I do talk about healing and moving forward in my book, and I really wanted that to show in the image on the cover as well as mm-hmm. the title. Yeah. Oh, very nice. What surprised you mm-hmm. most about writing your book? Getting writer's block. I know it happens to everyone, but I just thought I was so full of ideas. <laughs> I really did. Because there were times there were times when I would write and write, I write like 20 poems in a day, and I loved all of them. And then there were days when I just couldn't think of anything. I couldn't, I couldn't find any inspiration. I was reading, 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 and I just, I didn't know I would get that much writer's block, to be honest. That was my thing. That was something that really surprised me. And, and even the amount, another thing that surprised me was the amount of times I had to edit a poem. I kept going back and finding things I wanted to add or wanted to remove, and I didn't really, th- I didn't think I would write and it would be one and done. But I did think that maybe I wouldn't have to edit as much as I did. So that mm-hmm. was something surprising. Well, you know, that leads me into a question, and it's pretty much what you just answered. The question is: Some poets claim that a poem is like a living creature. Once it's out there, there's not much that you can do to correct or improve it, while others edit meticulously, not leaving much from the original draft form. What is your take on it? And you may have already answered that question. It sounds like editing was a difficult part of the, of the process. Yeah, because not only was I editing my poems, but other people were editing my poems. I hired an editor, and then also my, my mentor was editing my poems. So... I think that it is like a living creature. I think that mm-hmm. there's a, there's a process to it. Even just taking out words like the or and and things like that. And yes. and I just didn't want to part with some of the words, some of the 
some of the lines, but then other people said I should take this out and this split makes the poem stronger. And also another thing is just taking everyone's opinion with a grain of salt, because whatever they may think, it might not, it might take away from your poem, especially if you, you wanted to portray something or depict something in your poem. Yeah. Share another poem for us, please. Okay. This poem is called Blackout. New York City, 2003. This city that never sleeps closed her eyes for 16 hours. Blackout for all, havoc for most. But on Mexico Street, the universe was merciful. Four children and their mother sat around an oak wood table with candles foraged from the dusty attic, lo mein and broccoli-covered sticky fingers. Their mother's smile was a lantern in the dark. They all shone, and their silhouettes danced in harmony. Okay, finished. That was beautiful. Thank you. The silhouettes danced in harmony. Wow. Yeah. Please share another poem. Okay. This one is called A Summer Image. Glistening water, liquid gem, stifling heat, mahogany tree, ample branches stretching its arms over the heads of young bodies, a gift from nature only a mother could create. Smiles of joy on bronze faces, twirling stretched limbs on damp glassy rocks, the fire in their eyes, the summer's heat that kisses their skin. Okay, finished. Wow. You know, all poets have several words that come up over and over and over again in their work. Words or sentences they just can't help but use. What were three or what are three of your absolute favorite words to use? Uh, hmm. I, oh my goodness. I think there are so many and I have to pick them out because I'm like, I use them so many times. I like to say that. I like to say sun a lot. I guess it's not a problem. I like to talk about the sun a lot. Okay. But I also like the heat of the sun. Like maybe like the sun kissed something or the sun touched something. And sometimes I'm I'm like, okay, I need to stop saying that. So that's one thing. Or, oh, hmm, let me think. Maybe heat. It's like a lot of things with the sun, sun, heat, like something with passion or, um, hmm, I know that I'm on the spot. I can't really think, but I, I would say Sorry. the sun then. That's just one. That's one big thing. Sun. sun, sun. Well, that's a huge category, the sun. So I can understand finding different ways of talking about the sun in your work. Share another point. Yeah. So this is actually a love poem and it's called Love Letters. Carefully crafted, intricate, swan white, thin, delicate, brimming with possibilities, written shyly and secretly with love, candor, and a touch of lighthearted banter. I can imagine him have a think, 
sliding his pen across still drying ink, a faint glow glimmering in day or night, hunched over a desk lit by a sliver of light, soft print on parchment now wrinkled with age, splatters of black on a once blank page. Okay, I'm finished. Wow. You write so well. <laughs> Thank you. I can, I can see the images, uh, and your language is so crisp. I like it. I like it a lot. Thank you. What do you Thank view you. as being the most difficult part of the artistic process? And then also, conversely, the easiest part. Okay. The most difficult part, I think the most difficult part is writing something, something just difficult to write about, writing something that's sad, something that that's painful, something that hurts. That is a really difficult part of the process. Well, I guess it's not a process. I guess that's the finished thing, but the, but the act of writing something that's painful something that might make people worry about you or wonder what's going on with you or with me, I guess. Um, I think an easier part or the easiest part of writing is the very beginning when I have an idea and I just write it. That's the easiest part, just writing. I guess the editing is the hardest. Writing everything that's on my mind, I would say that's the that's an easy part. If it's a lighthearted subject or something funny. Yes. Yeah. Share, share another poem. I, I'm enjoying okay. your work. Share another poem. Yeah. I want to hear you. Thank you. Okay, this poem, I guess now that we're talking about something more sensitive, I'm going to go with a, a little bit of a darker poem. Okay. All right. This poem is called Suicidal Thoughts. Dead leaves have fallen, snow has melted, and clocks have gone forward an hour since my brain was fogged with unspeakable thoughts that ended with my funeral. An article of clothing I wore in life for an interview, a date, a wedding, will be what I wear for eternity. If I end up in the earth sooner than I should, perhaps it will be the burgundy shirt mom loves. Maybe the violet blouse with the iron stain on the back that will go unnoticed as tear droplets drip onto a face that is no longer mine. I will watch from the ceiling, neither happy nor sad. Like candle wax, my body will melt away before the flame expires into charcoal gray. My spirit will be with the ancestors. Okay, finished. Do you think that you were meant to be a poet? Yes. Um, okay. Tell me more. <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> was I meant to be a poet? I don't know. I think saying meant to be implies that it's my destiny or something. Okay. I think that right. I have to write. If I don't write, I would go crazy. I would be sad. I would, be, I would not be satisfied with my life. Mm-hmm. Poetry per se I think that it depends. If my poet really touches people, people can relate, and it helps people, and they feel that they're not alone in the world or they learn something, 
it resonates mm-hmm. with, with folks, then yes, I would say I am meant to be a poet. Mm-hmm. And if not, well, then that's just disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which brings up a question. In terms of your latest book, your first book, how do you handle a bad review? I've never gotten a bad review. <laughs> So, yes, I haven't yet. Yeah, I haven't yet because most of the people who bought my book so far are friends and family. I think that they would be too scared to leave me a bad review or tell me. I want them to be honest, though, if they don't like so. I mean, not that I'm going to be angry with them. If they don't like something, I want them to be honest with me and tell me what what I can improve on. I haven't gotten any bad reviews. I guess when I was in the editing process, there was one poem that my editor wasn't so keen on. And that was my Mm -hmm. first quote unquote bad review because she said that it lacked imagery, like the other poems and all this other stuff. But I didn't take it to heart. Not everyone's gonna like what you do, no matter what the field is. So I just, I don't think I'm gonna read my reviews to be honest, because I think I would still be sad. Even even if, oh my goodness, even if people did write amazing reviews the one review because I've seen reviews for other books like like uh milk and honey and some of these people they're ruthless like I think there's a way to say certain things they're ruthless I don't think I could handle it I don't don't think I could either I don't think I could either You put blood, sweat, and tears in the writing of a book, and then people tear it down. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Work on it for 15 years. (laughs) Yeah. And it's crazy. I don't think I can. I can't handle it. I know I can't. So I'm not going to read the reviews. I'm just going to work my hardest with my work and hope that it comes across to some people, even though not everyone feels like it. Share another poem. Okay. Okay. This poem is called Wake Up. Four walls inside a white picket fence. Job decaying the spirit. Eat, work, repeat. Fruitless life. The days are one. Until one day, dipping toes into a pool of possibility, you see the world. Unmasked, small and vivid as marbles in the palm of your hand. Book the bulge, explore, live. Be Bowie's major tom, aligned with the universe. Okay, I'm finished. Wow. Let's take a brief break and we'll be right back.
The call-in number is 646-787-1631. If you have a question for Tandui, please share another poem. Okay. This next poem is called Beetle. Beetle. I watch you crawl, ashen shadow on rutted wall, unwelcome guest you are. I could seal your fate, smear ivory white with red, but who am I? I am no god, so I will let you live. I let you live. I let you live. I find you, tangled in a spider's web. Good deeds done and no good end. Okay, finished. What are you trying to communicate with your art? Sorry, can you repeat that, please? Yes, what are you trying to communicate? What do you want people to get when they encounter your work? What do you want them to get? Okay. Uh... I want them to take from it what they will, but I also, yes, because it's art. And whenever I read someone my poem, I read read my poem to different people, my poems to different people, and they each have something that they take away from it. Sometimes it's something that I didn't even think of in my own work. And if it sounds good, then I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's totally what I meant. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe if I didn't even think of it. (laughs) Or, yeah, I do want them to take from it what they will, but sometimes there's a certain message in the poem that I want them to take away, depending on what the poem is. For example, with this poem, it's about kind of like fate, like doing something, doing the right thing. Does it always help? Or was something meant to happen in the first place? You know, but maybe someone won't get that from this. And maybe they'll get something else from it. Maybe they'll think I'm talking about it's about God or something like that, playing God. So who knows? But I'll, I want them to take from it what they will, for the most part. Where do you write? Is there a particular place that you go to, or you write anywhere? I write anywhere, from in my bed under the covers to <laughs> on a train in New York. Or when I'm walking down the street, I might take out my phone. I, I type. I tend to type and not actually write. In the past, I would. I had a journal, and I would open the journal, and I would write the poem. But now it's just so much easier to take out the phone and type something. I usually try to do it on Google Docs because then sometimes I open my phone and I go back to a poem and I start editing the poem. It's harder to do when you're writing in a journal. You have to scratch things out and things like that. So, yeah, yeah, I write everywhere, honestly. I might everywhere. even write at a party. If I, if I see something, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I have to write this down for a poem for later. <laughs> yeah. You know, poets hail from all over the world. Where do you hail from? I know that you're in New York, but where do you hail from? Maybe it is New York. Yes, I am from New York, actually. New York City. Born in Brooklyn, but now I'm actually living in Pennsylvania. Okay. So how did growing up in Brooklyn influence your work, your writing? Well, 
We actually moved a lot when I was a kid. We moved all over New York. So I wouldn't say that it was just Brooklyn that influenced my writing. I would say more so than the actual location of where I was living at a given moment. It was my family. My family, whatever situation we were in, whatever, um, yeah, the new house, the new block, the new street, friends around me more so than, oh, I'm in Brooklyn, so that's influencing me. I don't even know if I talk about Brooklyn specifically in any of my poems, actually, now that I think of it. I did talk about Queensville. I did. Yeah, I lived in Queens for a while as well. Okay. Okay, okay. Maybe didn't poem. have that much of an influence. Right. Okay. Share another poem. Okay. This poem is called Toxic. When using a sewing machine, fabric is held fast by thin pushpins fed to a hunk of metal where it is stitched into something pretty. She hums her clamorous sound of pleasure, and if you keep feeding her cloth, she eats it up and fashions whatever you desire. My thoughts escape me. My foot deepens on the pedal. A pinprick. I remember the favor. My taut flesh opens like edamame. Though she is the snake, I hiss at the sting of betrayal, and I wonder why I adore her. She who does me favors as long as she's coddled, punishes me if I stray. I am tied to her by an invisible knot and something called love, so I always do as she wishes. Okay, finished. Wow. How has your idea of what poetry is and what poetry can do changed since you began writing poetry? Sorry, can you repeat that again, please? Yes. How has your idea of what poetry is and what poetry can do changed since you began writing poetry? Uh, when I first started writing poetry, as I said before, I always had to rhyme. I don't know why, but I, I was just drawn to the rhyme scheme. Mm. So I think that has definitely changed and it has definitely made my poems deeper because I think I revolve the poems around the rhyme instead of writing the poems and then trying to fit the rhyme in, if that makes sense. So it does make sense, yeah. I w- yeah, so I would delete, cert- I would remove certain things for the sake of the rhyme. I sacrifice the poem for the sake of the rhyme. So I think now my poems are more thought-provoking, even though I do rhyme in some poems, because I've just grown so much and I just think more about the context of what the content, sorry, the content of what I'm writing rather than the rhyme. I also think that I'm just older now, so I'm more mature. I'm, I have more life experiences, so that comes into my poems. When I was 13, I was writing about saying, I don't know, silly things. All right. Well, not 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 all, not all of my poems were silly, but a lot of them were not very thought provoking. So that has changed because I just have more life experiences. Yeah. You know, you also write in your work about community. And yeah. we kind of talked about it briefly, the importance of community. So much has happened in our world 
in the last few years. I'll just say the last few years. But so much mm-hmm. has happened. What do you view as being the role of a poet in modern-day society? Hmm. Well, I think that poets, I guess it depends. It really does depend on on the poet. Do they feel like they need to discuss politics and what's happening in the world? Or do they want to keep it to what's happening in their own world? Do we have a responsibility? And to be honest, I'm not so sure. I I never really felt, well, sometimes I feel a bit guilty that I don't write more about politics and what's happening in our world. But okay. what if it doesn't resonate with the poet? If it doesn't resonate with the poet, then I don't really think they have much of a responsibility, to be honest. Well, that's interesting. If it doesn't resonate with the poet, why write about it? Yeah. I mean, do they have to write about it? I don't think so. No, I don't either. What if um, certain things are sometimes too painful to even write about, (laughs) honestly? Mm -hmm. It depends on the person, even in the right mind. Do they have the right mindset in that moment to even be writing about certain things? things, Just, oh, politics just can become really heavy. All this everything that's happening in the world just can become very heavy for a person. So I say they should write about what they resonate with them. You know, does knowing that your poems are published and out there in the world validate your being a poet, or are you content knowing that they're out of your system? That's a good question. I'm content knowing that they're out of my system, but I also feel really good that they're out in the world and that I can say I'm an author. <laughs> yeah, it feels good. Especially being young. I'm like, I've published my first book at 24. <laughs> yes, oh, wow. I must admit, I like to brag. I have bragging rights. <laughs> you deserve so, them. You deserve them. <laughs> so I am glad they're out of my system, but I really want people to relate to my poems. I really want to, my voice to be heard. And I want people to, yeah, to to feel something when they read my poems. So I think it does give me satisfaction. Just even being on this podcast, having people hear what I have to say, and, and hopefully people are, are nodding their heads or thinking, hmm, wow, that's deep, or wow, I can relate to that, or wow, that, that meant something to me. It's a bit of both. Well, you're very honest. You're very honest in terms of your thinking and I think that's what's important as well, and I and I appreciate that, to be quite honest. I appreciate that. You know, you talked about your voice being heard. What is the relationship between your speaking voice and your written voice? Do you participate in uh, open mic poetry readings? I did once, just once. Okay. And you know something? I'm still finding my voice. I'm still finding my voice. Okay. I I think that whenever I listen to someone, it seems like a lot of poets or or people who do spoken word, they all a lot of them seem to have a similar voice. To be honest, it's like right. nah, 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 nah. I don't know. I can't. I can't. <laughs> I can't describe it properly. 
but sometimes it just seems to be, to be a bit cliche or like they're trying to do something. So for now, I'm mm-hmm. kind of just reading my poems and, and enunciating certain words that I feel people should really be thinking about. But I'm still, mm-hmm. look, I'm still searching for my voice or my, my written voice and my speaking voice. How will because, you know when you find it? How will you know when you find your voice? I think it'll just click. It'll just click and I'll say to myself, oh, this sounds good. This doesn't sound like I'm trying to be someone else, mm-hmm. trying to be someone that I'm not. This feels like me and this feels, it also depends on who I'm reading to. Do they look connected? I, I mean, I can't just read in a monotone voice, but I want people to be connected. So I think it's about the poet and the audience relationship if we're talking about my speaking voice. Yeah. Share, share another poem. Okay. This one is called Finding Happiness. I flew across arid emptiness, mossy woodland, binding, blinding glaciers, frosty tundra and Atlantic slosh in search of something I could only find in the crevices of my heart. Joy. Okay, it's finished. That was a real short one. One more before we go. Okay. We've got about five minutes this? left. One more before we go. Okay. This one is called... Okay, now I don't know because I only have one more. Should I do this one? <laughs> okay. Well, do two more. Do two more. Do two more. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> do as many as you like. Do as many as you like. I don't care. Okay. I'm enjoying your. No, your I'll work. do one more, but I'll do the longer one. Okay. I'll do the longer one. Okay. This one is called Bond. Dandelion. How do you live unattached, hanging to a stem by a thread, sailing in wind indiscriminately, then letting go, bidding farewell to the other seeds? If you had a mind, would you ever wonder how the other seeds were doing? Would you feel so inclined to write them, emptying your desires to meet them again and wait for their response? Are you like me? I never want to let people go. The girl on the bus I sat next to for a few hours, the lady on the plane who understood me when I told her about my loss, the man from the hostel. I find a home in strangers. I am comforted by people who I should only pass by and never see again. I want to take them with me. Though some live across the ocean, I want to know their story and what they dream about. Goodbye has never crossed my mind. Dandelion, how do you live unattached? Okay, I'm finished. Beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. Tell me about the construction of that particular piece. Well, you know something? So this poem was actually supposed to be two different poems, but I found myself oh. writing about a dandelion being unattached, and then yes. I... I saw, oh, wait, I have a poem about that already, about being, I mean, sorry, attached. It was, I was writing a poem about a dandelion being attached or unattached, something in that realm. And then I thought, oh, I, already, I know I have a poem about attachment. So I looked for the poem, 
and I decided hmm, they're pretty similar. And then I started to think about a dandelion and how the seeds just blow everywhere and how that's being unattached and how I'm not like that. And so I put them together. I put them together. So I started with the dandelion, asking the dandelion questions because I kind of want to be more like the dandelion, but I'm, I don't know. I'm just, <laughs> I'm attached to people. I, I talk to someone for a few minutes and I'm like, oh, I wish we could be friends. But in this world, people would probably think I was weird if I did that. Someone called me the weird bus lady before. So <laughs> when I told them that, <laughs> so that's how this one was formed. And then whenever I had a different, different question, I would skip a line just to have some pause, some breath in there, and then talk about my own experiences, and then just bringing it back to asking the dandelion and the, the last question, how does it live unattached? So that was the process wow. for this poem. Perfect, perfect poem. Perfect poem. How active are you on social media? I'm pretty active, pretty active on social media. I post, try to post frequently, but it's kind of hard, but I'm active. How do you think it affects the way that you write? Um, there were certain stages where it was affecting the way that I wrote because I just wanted to put out a lot of content, but I didn't want to post my whole book on my Instagram page. So I had to just write poems really quickly, and they weren't my best poems. So that affected the way my writing. So I decided, you know, quantity, no, quality over quantity. Is that what they say? Okay. So I decided All to right. put out less and and also start talking more about my process, like posting pictures of me writing or and things like that to be active on social media and fill in the space. And also I, I draw, so posting my artwork. Yeah, it's definitely important. Wow. Yeah. What is next for you creatively? Oh, gosh. It's so soon to think about that, to be honest. <laughs> uh, I don't even know. I only just published the book. I kind of just want to have a breather. I might write another one. I write. I might Why? actually write another one, you know. As I, as I was working on this, I started to write a few more poems, and maybe that'll be the next book. Maybe it'll be, maybe it won't be as long as this one, but yeah, that might be the next thing. The next thing, or... Maybe a chat book or something. I might write a, another book. I might try to get my work published on on blogs or, or different websites, magazines. That might be the next step creatively. Maybe I'll just write and just keep my poems to myself. I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> You'll just write and keep your poems to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I keep my poems to myself until I'm ready to share them. <laughs> Flowers in Winter, where can I find a copy of that book? Where can you I go can find, find a copy? Amazon, actually. Yeah, okay. You can find it on Amazon. There's a hardcover available with the illustrations in color, and then the paperback is the images in black and white. And same content, though. Wow, very nice. Yeah. You know, I'm going to say this. I'm very proud of you. I don't know you. But I'm very proud of what you've accomplished at the age of 24. You've got your first book. You've been published in different places. You've you've written essays. I mean, you're on your way to the top. Oh, thank you. That means so much. 
It means so much to me. Well, thank you. I, I'm glad that you s- spent time with me tonight. Uh, your voice needs to be heard, and I wish you nothing but the best. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate this opportunity. Yes, well, mm-hmm. and what I'd like you to do is to come back sometime and be a yeah, frequent okay, guest on quintessential listening poetry. <laughs> well, yeah. I want to say good night to you. <laughs> good night to you and to everyone listening. And as I've shared weekly now, let poetry ring. Oh, one last thing. This is National Poetry Month. And for you, Tandoi, what do you think about Why is it important that we celebrate this month? It's important because people keep saying that poetry is a dying art form, and it is mm. not. Yeah, it's not. So it's important. It's important to to celebrate poets all the time. But it's just during this month to let just to let poets know that their work is being read and they're they're supported, and people still do love poetry and will always read poetry and connect to it and be inspired by it. And, it, yeah, it's super important, honestly. It's super important because poetry is not a dying art form. Actually, I think poetry is becoming even more powerful now, to be honest. Oh, I, I think so, too, to be honest as well. Well, thank you again. And to everyone, good night. Good. Thank you. You have just listened to the Quintessential Listening Poetry Online Radio Podcast with your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. And make sure to catch our next episode. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.